how you doing tonight? It sounds like you're doing all right. That was lame. How you doing tonight? Okay, sounds like you're doing okay. Um, I'm excited to preach the word of God to you tonight. I'm not up here to lead worship. Uh, I'm not up here to lead prayer tonight. I'm here to preach. Um, I hope you're excited, as just as I am. Um, This is something that... uh, this content, this message is something that I've been uh, praying about. It's been very meaningful for me personally. And I think it will carry some corpus significance. Turn with me to Daniel. Daniel. If you got your Bible, uh, show it off. Let me see it. Lift it up. Lift it up. Because I just want to identify the holy people in the house. <laughs> see, if you, if you have an iPad, hey, that's okay. That's okay. Lift it. I mean, lift it up. Lift it. Up. I want to see it. If you got a smartphone, okay. If you lift it up, lift it up. Hold on. Lift it up. Oh, see, I'm spotting you. There's some people without a Bible tonight, but that's okay. That's okay. 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 I thought that was pretty cool. Let's go to chapter six. Chapter six in the book of Daniel. Um, I'm going to be reading from the ESV English Standard Version. Chapter 6, if you are already there, go ahead and give everyone in the podcast world a big amen. Amen. Okay. If you need a minute, say, I need a minute. It's, it's there. It's after the book of Ezekiel. Before, it's, it's before Hosea. Sandwich between Hosea and Ezekiel. It's Daniel's there. Chapter 6, we're going to go from verse 1 to verse 10. Okay, verse 1 to verse 10. Uh, I will go ahead and read this for you. You can follow along with your, uh, with your eyes. Okay, here we go. Verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps. Satraps are just provincial leaders, in case you're wondering. Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. That whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes, the Persians, which cannot be revoked. 
Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Verse 10. Get this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Amen? I believe it is my uh, assignment tonight to speak to you from the subject, the God of Daniel. The God of Daniel. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your living word. Uh, You say we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Tonight, we ask you, would you speak to us and feed us with the bread of life? And Holy Spirit, we welcome your ministry. We ask that you would show us Jesus. We long to be transformed and made more and more into the image of Christ. We just pray tonight, Lord, that every person in this place will leave with a higher view of you. With more love burning in their hearts for you than when they walked in. That every bit of complacency be ripped off. I pray that you come smash all our idols. That you come and just do an amazing work of causing us to fall in love with you again. So we welcome you and we say your kingdom has come. Your will shall be done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Everyone said? Okay. Uh, In our particular passage of scripture tonight, in chapter 6 in the book of Daniel, we find uh, a politician and a prophet. Daniel is both a politician and a prophet. Um, I think a lot of you guys, if you grew up in the church, are familiar with this this man. You saw those uh, uh, cartoons. Uh, You saw where the guy gets thrown in the den of lions and he gets rescued. Uh, This Daniel in chapter 6... He's actually pretty old. Uh, Anybody want to take a stab at how old he is at this point? See, 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 all the guys who went to seminary know the answer. But just be honest. If you're if you went if you're in seminary, don't raise your hand. Don't shout it out. But if you, you know, just you went to Sunday school, you saw the movies. Just wild guess. How old do you think he is? Huh? Somebody said thirty. Okay. Fifty. Okay. 60. Okay, so not bad. Uh, Daniel's actually eight, around 80 years old um, at this time. Daniel, he, at this point uh, in chapter 6, he's already served three kings. King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebi. Uh, he served <laughs> King Bel- Bel- Belshazzar, Belshazzar, Belshazzar. Uh, and currently he's under King Darius. That's that's pretty big and then later he serves king cyrus in his individual one man's life he served under four kings that's pretty major i think these days if we see somebody in politics serving under one president for even one term for one administration i think that's a pretty big deal right two terms that's a pretty big deal but imagine serving like you you outlive three kings and then you serve the fourth one that's what daniel did And Daniel right now is around 80 years old. But what you see, based on what we just read, is not a lukewarm old guy that's just waiting to retire 
uh, that's saying like, oh, I just, I'm done burning for God. I'm done being on fire. But actually, if you look back all the way to chapter 1, there's the steady growth of passion, steady devotion in this man's life towards God. And if I can just give you some context, even before we get to chapter 6, is that okay? Just, just, just going, rewind a little bit to chapter 1. Um, the story starts with Daniel being at the age of around 14. Okay? He is led to Babylon, um, exiled to Babylon with his buddies uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Mishael uh, and um, Azariah. Those, those are their real names. And then the pagan names that you're used to is the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, right? Um, they, they get captured and taken to Babylon because King Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes over the land of Judah. The land of Judah, there was a king named Jehoiakim. Um, and in that, in that region, um, what King Nebuchadnezzar did was he picked out the best and the brightest, out of Israel, he said, now that I've completely sacked this land, I want the best and the brightest f- for them to serve in my palace. So what he does is he calls his chief of the eunuchs, this guy named a- Ashpenaz, and he says, uh, Ashpenaz, hey Ash, um, I want you to put together this three-year program, like an internship, intense internship, where I want you to gather the guys from the noble and the royal family from Israel, Okay? So Daniel was from ro- like royal family. He was like up there. And I want you to brainwash them. I want you to have them eat what I eat. I want you to have them drink what I drink, watch what I watch, be surrounded by the environment that I'm in. Because once they are just immersed in my culture, once they represent me, look like me, then I can have them to my position. I can, if I can get them when they're young, when they're 14 and 15, um, and if I can train them, indoctrinate them completely, then they'll serve me. That was the plan, and most people fell for it, except Daniel and his three buddies. And so what we see is in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, I think some of you guys know this verse, it says, but Daniel made a resolve in his heart not to defile himself with the food that the king ate and his delicacies and his wine. And he asked the chief of the eunuchs, hey, can you... Can I, can I just go veggie for, for a while? Uh, he says, like, I'm just going to eat vegetables. That's where we get the Daniel fast, right? Uh, uh, okay. Uh, that's when it started. Um, and at the age of 14, my God, at 14, he just got, he lost his family. He lost his Harvard career. He was going to a great school probably in Israel, in Judah, and he's taken to this land called Babylon, but he makes a resolve, an inner purposing of his heart where he says, yeah, you can go ahead and change my name. They changed his name too, um, from Daniel to Belshazzar. It, it was Daniel, God is my judge, to Baal is my judge. Um, you can change my diet or attempt to. Um, you can change my environment. You can change the books I read. But Daniel made a resolve early in his life that he will not violate the commandments of God. What? See, the food, the food that was presented to him, there's nothing wrong with this food. By the way, it was good food. Foodies in the house. Anyone? <laughs> this was good food. This was the king's food. Like, kushimanon, like, buffet. Every day. 
And the King Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to eat whatever he... If he had oatmeal for breakfast, they were going to have oatmeal for breakfast. If he had pizza for lunch, they were having pizza for lunch. And you're saying, what's the big deal? Well, the food was offered to idols. And that does not fulfill the requirement of the Mosaic law. And Daniel understood that. Daniel, and he said, you know what? I'll pass on the food. And he made a resolve and said, I'm going to live in Babylon, but Babylon is not, it's going to have no place in me. Babylon, like I'm, I'm in the midst of Babylon. I'm, everything has changed in me, but I'm not going to cause any of my external reality to seep into my internal devotion to God. That was a resolve that he made. That's a consecration. Um, I don't know about you, but we live in a society where there's heavy indoctrination. Yeah? If you watch the news, um, yeah, it's no joke. Like the laws that are getting passed, like in some liberal states in California, if you just look at what they're teaching now in schools, if you look at the ads, the subtlety of what they're trying to communicate to you, See, if you feel like right now, you know, it's comfortable for you to just secure and guard your faith, uh, I, think, I think you better wake up. Because uh, in some other nations, it's not just indoctrination. It's straight up persecution. Like, they're being completely persecuted for what they believe. And I think it, unless, unless we make the same decision, like in, in inner resolve, like Daniel did, to say, I will not, I will have no compromise in my life. Now, we need to make that, unless we make that resolve now, when the persecution comes, when the indoctrination changes to persecution, and you try to make that resolve then, the compromise is going to seem so tempting to choose compromise over that consecration. So first, just want to let you know where Daniel is coming from. When he was young, from a young age, he already set his mind, I'm going to follow God. And things, things heat up a bit. So, in chapter 1, he does that, but what's the result? He eats veggies only, right? He doesn't eat the meat. And then what happens? Ten days later, they, they show up before the chief of the eunuchs. They look better. They look healthier. And the Bible says that he even perf- outperformed those guys. And what King Nebuchadnezzar ended up doing was saying, I'm going to promote you. Yeah. And he ended up bringing Daniel and his three buddies into a higher place. Chapter 3, what happens? Chapter 3, there's this, you know, the famous fiery furnace. You guys know that story? Where the three buddies decide not to bow down to the idol. And we see again there this, this, this resolve manifesting in no compromise. They make a decision, I'm not going to compromise regardless of the cost. Just imagine, everyone around you is bowing. Everyone around you is bowing down to the idol. And the three buddies, they're just like, all right. <laughs> Literally, everyone, everyone, like it said, when they, whenever they played that sound, that music, they bowed. And you know, music plays, if you're driving, that music, you stop, get out of the car, and you bow. That's, that was literally the culture that they lived in. But these three guys made a resolve to not defile themselves in idolatry. And they set themselves apart. And before I move on, I would like to make a quick clarification on what it means to be set apart, what it means to be consecrated. Because I sometimes think we misunderstand it as being completely separated from the world. But it's not. In 
in John 17, Jesus says, in John 17, I believe verse 15, he says, Father, he's praying to the Father, and he says, I pray that you don't take them out of the world. He's talking about us. But he, he says, I pray that you keep them from the evil one because they're not of the world as I am not of the world. And he says, sanctify them. Sanctify them for your word is truth. Sanctify them with your truth. And he, he says, I have sent them into the world as you have sent me. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying is, I'm calling you to be set apart, not isolated and separated from the world. I'm going to go a little bit deeper here. If we really want to live a life of consecration and, and sanctification, it's not by, oh, I can't watch that. Or, oh, like, I'm just going to go far away from my friends who drink, smoke, uh, have a homosexual lifestyle, whatever. But if you look at the example that Jesus set, he ran straight into the heart of the darkness. He went straight into the homes of the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And if you look at, look at how Daniel and his buddies respond. They didn't try to escape Babylon. Not even once. There's no mention of his 80-year career where he tried to escape Babylon. But he abided in God. And he, caused, he allowed God to abide in him. Even though his physical body was abiding in Babylon. Now, we get to chapter 6. Um, what I really want to talk about tonight is the God of Daniel. Um, when, I read, when I read about Daniel, I don't know about you, but I get pretty, uh, I pretty get stirred up. Uh, this guy had an amazing, amazing experience on the earth while he walked with God. And I, I just sat down as I was preparing for this word. Um, I was thinking, what is the central question that I want us to answer to the, together today? And just ask the Lord to speak to us. And the question is this. For whom does God move? For whom does God move? The Bible says very clearly that God is still looking for people that he wants to use today. In Second Chronicles 16, it says, The Lord is looking to and fro for people that he can show himself strong. That means God is still looking for a certain, a specific kind of people that he wants to use mightily. God's not just going to use anyone, right? And the question that I want us to really investigate tonight is, who does God use? Very simply put, and for whom does God move? Why was Daniel so mightily used by God? Like, what, what about Daniel is something that is worth emulating for us? So, I know at New Philly we love three-point sermons, so I have three points for you. <laughs> I do. Uh, this, was, this was a big, big challenge for me, but um, I did it. And so tonight, um, if you're taking notes, we're answering the question, uh, who does God use? For whom does God move? Um, and first point is that uh, they that walk blamelessly before God. They that walk blamelessly before God. If you look at verse 4 and verse 5 of the text that we read today, uh, if you look at verse 4, it says, uh, Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. 
with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And verse 5 says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Okay, so what happened? These guys who were envious and jealous of Daniel because this guy's career was like just he was he was so successful he was a president over the satraps so if you're wondering what that structure is there's 120 satraps a satrap was over one province so 120 provinces okay three presidents uh, monitoring supervising all 120 satraps so 40 40 40 but it says that Daniel was the most outstanding one and how many of you know when you when you walk with the favor of God, you might encounter some powerful enemies, some some jealous people, and you know you know that saying haters are going to hate. <laughs> you know haters, you can't do anything about that. But Dan Daniel was not shaken up by it. But what these guys try to do is they try to make a scheme, okay, plot something, so that they can trip him, cause him to uh, get de you know demoted. Cause him to uh, be, uh, come before the king with something to be guilty of, right? And they look, they look, they look, they look. They're like, okay, let's dig up this guy's record. You know what they do with politicians, right? And they're like, okay, he got straight A's. <laughs> He's a vegetarian. Uh, he never committed a crime. Uh, and they're, they're looking, they're looking, they're looking. Nothing. Just nothing. Clean. Completely clean record. And they said, the only thing, okay, the only thing we can try, like, do, whatever we do, it's not going to be successful. But the one thing we can do is if we make it connected to his religion. Because he seems to be very, very unchanging in his devotion to his God. And so that's why they come with that plan. But the first point, the blamelessness that we're talking about here, if I could define it for you, I'd like to define it in twofold. One, we have the positional blamelessness that we benefit through salvation. Yes or no? When, yeah, it's imputed to us. It's given to us. It's, you, can't, you can't earn it even if you tried. Sorry. You just can't. It, you know, it's, it's salvation is purely, it's, it's not by works in the sense that it's not our works. It is by works, but all his works. He did it all. So zero work for us. Right. That blamelessness, that righteousness is ensured for you. Amen. When you stand before God, if you really, really accept it in faith, the gospel that Jesus died and resurrected for your sins, and now there's no condemnation, you're, you're good. You're good. Fear not, oh little ones. <laughs> you're good. Yeah. That blamelessness is not something you can take off. What you didn't earn with your good works, you cannot lose with your bad works. Right. But here's the thing. There's another blamelessness that we see here. This is, this, is BC, this is 600 BC. This is before Christ. But Daniel walked in blamelessness. I think then we can define that there is a blamelessness that is received, and then there's one that is achieved. Right. The one that is achieved, I think, is something that we work out in our sanctification. The blamelessness that you get in salvation, it's done. Okay? You have a home in heaven. Your name is written in the book of the Lamb, okay? But the blamelessness that we're talking about here is before man, too. These guys couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel. 
And I think this is something that we have to really distinguish and pursue in our walks. We can't just think blamelessness is just this big word, this righteousness. is just this big idea that it's just always hovering over us, even even like almost as a um, insurance or like a credit card that we just we just like swipe every time we sin. That's that's the whole cheap grace thing that people you know that preachers tell you about all the time. If you just use that, you pre-plan sin in your mind. Okay, come on, anybody? I did that sometimes. Anybody? You literally pre-plan sin, thinking uh, God's blamelessness is always uh, for me is always there. But that, I feel like that's elementary understanding of blamelessness. That's already there. That's your start. But we've got to be sanctified into the likeness of Christ. That's the purpose of your life. To be sanctified daily more and more into the image of Christ. And Daniel was a blameless man. Like they could not find anything wrong with this guy. Pretty crazy, huh? In your workplaces in your school, in your environment, uh, you might be thinking, oh, well, I already kind of messed up a few times. I drank a lot that one huesik, that company dinner. Um, you feel like your reputation already, already is tainted or whatever. Um, let me just encourage you, okay? Um, our, our ability, again, in our achieving of this blamelessness, this righteousness, is not necessarily a leader role that we're taking, but we're cooperating with Jesus' leadership. It's, it's his idea. Yeah, he wants to present you spotless and pure. So don't, don't strive in that sense of you're going to do it all by yourself, but strive in the sense of cooperating with God through obedience. And I think if we do that, we'll see that's the first mark that's the first mark of somebody that God will use. Actually, in 2 Chronicles 16.9, the one that I mentioned earlier, it says, God is looking to and fro throughout the earth. Okay? He's going from America. He's going to Canada. I'm sure he goes to Canada. Uh, he, <laughs> I'm kidding, Pastor. He goes, to, uh, he goes to Australia. He goes to the nations, and what he does is he's searching, looking. God is looking for a certain kind of man and woman. And it says, he's looking to and fro throughout the earth for those who are blameless towards him. That's actually what it says. Blameless towards him. Doesn't mean all Christians, right? That can't be that, what that blameless um, connotes, what that means. It has to be a different level of blameless we're talking about here. It's, it's, a, it's a desire in your heart to be completely divorced from the things of the world and just completely given over to Jesus out of an overflow of gratitude of your love for him. Nothing religious, nothing fake, nothing man-made. Blamelessness, first thing. Okay. Uh, second point. They that have a fierce commitment to pray before their God. They that have a fierce, I like that word. <sighs> fierce commitment. To pray before their God. And you'll understand why I use that adjective. Um, one thing that Daniel did not have is a casual pursuit of God. He, this is no casual Christian. <laughs> this guy was gangsta. Uh, and I'll, I'll show you why. I'll show you why. Uh, go with me to verse 10. That's the last verse we read today. And again, we didn't read the whole chapter. Because uh, of just, you know, I want to honor your time. 
I promised Pastor Mel I wouldn't go over an hour and outdo the spiritual father of the house. So here we go. Uh, just verse 10. Look with me at verse 10. Um, let's read it together. It's so good. This is really the punchline verse of tonight's message. I want you to get it. Eat it up and apply it to your life. Here we go. Verse 10. One, two, three. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Did you get the cues? The emphases that I put there? Um... Okay, here we go. It's just gonna it's gonna rock you. Here we go. Uh, first, it says when he knew. He wasn't ignorant. Okay, he wasn't ignorant of what was going on. He wasn't just whatever. He knew. So that means I think they they planned this like law, um, this decree to outlaw prayer. Basically, that's what they did, right? They said, "Oh, King Darius, live forever." Oh, flattery. Um, we we're gonna we're gonna put this degree uh, t- decree where everyone must worship you for the next thirty days, and if they violate this, they will be thrown into the lion, dens of, den of lions, right? And I think I guess as a king, you find that very politically convenient that people worship you. So he's like, oh yeah, let's do it. You know, it's like he put a signature on it; it was done. But anybody realize like where was Daniel? Where was Daniel? It's a rhetorical question, but you can answer it too. Like, where do you think? I don't think he was there. I think he must have been on a business trip overseas. Because why? They they said every government, I mean, every governor, every counselor, every satrap, every prefect, every they listed off all these government officials, and they said we're we're, agree- we're unanimous. We want this king. You just need to sign it. It's like this long bill that's saying one thing. That you can't worship anyone but you. And he's like, good deal, let's do it. But that's a lie because why? Daniel wasn't there. I don't think Daniel would have voted yes. At least he would have given his no vote. And then it was majority rules and still passed. But there's no mention of that. So I'm guessing in his absence, this was passed. That's why it says when he knew. When he knew, Right? Well, let's see how he responded. When he knew, my God, when it was signed, sealed, delivered, it was done, game over, he panicked. No. <laughs> that would be a bad uh, uh, example. Right? Uh, he freaked out. No. He ran away. No. What did he do? Somebody tell me. What did he do? He just went home. He's like, Okay, okay. He went, to, he went to his intern. He's like, okay, what's new today? You know, he's got that new DC intern. You know, he's like, uh, President Daniel, actually, knowing, you know, his, his, uh, his boss is a very avid man of prayer, he's like, I don't know, but um, this law was just passed where, uh, you know, that thing you do three times a day with the window open at your house? Can't do it anymore. <laughs> Daniel's like, oh, Okay. I'm going to take an early leave today. I'm going to go home. He goes home. And, you know, he comes home, shuts the door. And the first thing he does, where does he go? He goes to his 
upper chamber where the window is open towards Jerusalem. Um, he didn't go into um, his room, <laughs> got on his bed, started freaking out. He didn't call his buddy. He, he just went straight to a place where he knew he could meet God, where he knew God could be found. And I don't even think he went like, like cowering, like trembling in fear. I'm sure he was like a little bit like shaken up, like, ooh. But this is, again, this man's been through some stuff. He's 80 year old, 80, 80 year old by now. Um, and he goes and he kneels down. And the Bible says he looks out in the window, looking into Jerusalem. And what does he do? He gave, he gave thanks. Really? Sometimes you got to read the Bible with like an inquisitive, like, really? I, I just stopped right there. Like reading that. I was like, he gave thanks with his imminent possible death. Like he didn't just give the bill a cursory look. He knew. He, he's a lawmaker. He knows that if it's signed with the, with, as it is according to the Medes and the Persians, as it says in the Bible, it cannot be revoked. He knows it's done. It's a done deal. But he goes and he, he, he kneels down and he gives thanks. Have you wondered, like, what do you think he was thanking God for? It's a real question. When I imagine and meditate on this scripture, I think maybe he, was, he got down on his knees and said, God, thank you for being with me ever since I got to this place. When I was 14 years old, uh, I made that commitment, that vow to you, and you've proven yourself faithful. It sounds like it, this story might come to an end really soon. You know? Yeah. But, but God, it's been heck of a ride. It's been amazing being set apart for you. I don't regret being consecrated unto you. I don't regret not falling into the things of Babylon. I don't regret uh, compromise, like not giving in to compromise. I'm thankful. With imminent penalty of being thrown into the den of lions. Okay, it's not like injection and you die of like a poison. This is like being kairbitim for the lions, where they tear you up. That's intense, guys. I don't know, like. I don't know about you. For me, if it's thir- the decree was for only 30 days, we could very much with our contemporary, uh, casual, lukewarm, consumer Christianity, we can very much rationalize and go, man, I'll just go on a 30-day, um, no prayer. Yeah, I'll go on a prayer fast. <laughs> Thank you, Brady. Yeah, like, it's only 30 days. I mean, I've got to, I've, I'm 80, but I've, I've got to live longer than this. You know, maximize God's potential to glorify himself through me. Like, I've got to live longer. Longevity. Come on. Like, whatever. He could have rationalized this, but what does he do? He doesn't even go to the woods to pray. Like, he don't want. You know, when you have, like, a serious crisis in your life. He goes to his upper chamber with the window open. And, and then it says, as he had done previously this wasn't an emergency line crisis moment of prayer this was just this is what i do this is who i am 
80 years and running. He just went. Where, that, and my question to you first before I move on is, do you have a place like that? You can't wait till something like this happens and then look for one. Do you have an upper chamber? Not literal, but do you have a prayer closet? No, really. Like, I think we, we all talk about prayer a lot in this house. I love that PC is a champion of prayer. He's the prayer leader of the house. The standard, the dynamic, the heat, the temperature of prayer, really, he sets in his closet. What you see happening here, what you see happening at our retreats, when you see fire falling in our missions field, a lot of it is an overflow of what the leader of the house is setting when no one's watching. So thank God for a man of prayer. Can we give it up for a... Just to give him more pressure to pray more. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. It's all on him. No, I'm kidding. kidding. There are three kinds of prayer, right? Most people know. The corporate prayer, right? What we're doing here. I think we're pretty good with that, New Philly. We we pray a lot. I think it's great. (laughs) Uh, Sunday swim, JPM, Friday fire. Um... I love that it's part of our leadership requirement. Because um, corporate prayer is, is huge. That's where we change things. That's where we govern things. Intercession really is the game changer. Um, history gets shifted in intercession. You'll see many scriptural, biblical precedent for that. So corporate prayer is very important. What's the next one? Communion. What's communion? I'm not talking just about the, the practice of the sacraments with the bread and the wine. But communion as in connecting with God throughout your day. Okay. Other than corporate prayer, there's another f- style or form or setting of prayer, and that is when you're on the subway, or on the bus, when you're in the shower, uh, and you're just, you know, you're multitasking, but you're like kind of like doing it with God. You know, like you're just like, God, I'm, I just want to connect with you. I want to stay with you. Let's do everything together. Uh, I think most Christians have no trouble doing that as long as they're really willing to invite the presence of God, practice the presence of God, uh, on a 24-7 daily basis, right? But the third one I want to talk about and that Daniel really had down was the closet. There's the corporate, there's the communion, and there's the closet. I think the corporate and the communion were, you know, like, don't be complacent. You know, I'm not saying, like, we're, like, we've arrived. I think there's so much more, too, that we've yet to experience. But I feel like one area where we have deficit in the church, just in general, personally, too, this was such a convicting message Uh, And that is the area of the closet, closet prayer. Um, I think that's really actually something we should prioritize. Uh, If you look at the life of Jesus, I'm just going to take a really relevant tangent. Uh, Jesus, um, during his three-year ministry, okay, let me come on this side. During his three-year ministry, um, he, he was a busy man. Never restless, okay? Never stressed. But he was busy, right? There's nothing wrong with busy, by the way. I think a lot of times we frown upon that because sometimes that does get in the way of our spiritual disciplines, right? But Jesus was busy maybe just as much as Daniel or maybe more. Um, Mind you, Daniel had the occupation of being a prophet and a politician. Um, Jesus 
while he was doing ministry, you will see many instances in the Gospels. It just like, it just kind of pops up once in a while. It says that Jesus slipped away. It's like, what? <laughs> Jesus, there's a huge crowd of you, like in front of you, revival, like right there. You just, one word, it's done, and he just slips away. And Luke, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 to 16, if you're there, go and look it up. But basically it says, now all the, all the more the report about Jesus went abroad. It increased. He's getting famous, right? But, and, and, and thousands of people, crowds were gathering unto him to hear his teaching. And it says, to be healed of their infirmities. So imagine Jesus is here with his entourage. Thousands of people gathered already. They heard about this man. They've come and they're saying, give us what you got. We want the kingdom. But what does Jesus do? It says, but Jesus slipped away into a desolate place. I think that was the word. To pray. Really? Again, another really. Like, really? When you've got a whole crowd, like God, you can, you can give God so much glory right there. There's so much was at stake. Was it, no? Yes or no? Yeah. God, you could have, like, advanced your kingdom in such a crazy, awesome way. But Jesus decided to say, hey, I got to go. And they're like, disciples are like, Jesus, where are you going? Like, everyone's, like, waiting for you. <laughs> We've got the sound system set up. Like, you just got to, like, go preach. Like, the tent is ready. Everything. Jesus, what, what are you doing? He's like, I, I got to go, guys. I got to go. And, and, you know, I bet you Peter was like, where, where do you think you're going? I bet, I bet you, he was like, probably rebuking the Lord, like, like, Jesus, come here, like, like, where do you think you're going? We're about to start a mega church, like, overnight, right now. And Jesus is like, I gotta go. And he's like, well, where are you going? And, and Jesus is like, I gotta go pray. Says, I got an appointment with my father. And when I see that, I think I can understand Daniel. When I see this, I think it's, it's, it's this almost like it's re- literally more important than anything. Literally. To Daniel, later, what? He does get put in the den of lions, right? What does that mean? In Daniel's mind, being thrown in the den of lions, okay, let me put it this way. Not praying is worse than getting thrown in the den of lions. For Daniel. Really? (laughs) For Jesus, missing his appointment with the Father has more consequences, uh bad negative ramifications, than missing that crowd. That's the closet. That's because, I think it's because that's actually where these two individuals, these two men operate out of. This is where the fruit really came from. This is where they really remind themselves that they're dependent solely on God. The closet prayer. And if we think about, okay, then why is it so hard? Oh, is it easy? Really now? Come on. Can we be, can we be real? Like, even for like, hey, can I just be real? Even for preachers. Uh-oh, I'm getting in trouble. Uh, even for... <laughs> Even for church folk, like, if you grew up in the, like, hey, it doesn't mean, like, 
doesn't mean like you've got this crazy vibrant prayer life. Only God knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just let the conviction just. Shh. <laughs> just kidding. The closet prayer life. Why is it so hard? Well, I think for those of us who live in you know twenty first century, this modern, fast paced, urban metropolitan lifestyle, especially those of us who are living in a city like Seoul. Remember that word I mentioned earlier, busy, busyness? Uh, There's nothing wrong with being busy, but I think the devil, Satan, often uses that as a means to giving us an excuse for not needing to pray in the closet. And he goes, oh, just compensate it at a Friday fire. Just, you know, your tank is empty, go get it at Friday fire. Go to K1. You know, Susie Park is at it. Just like, there it is. What, what if, like, a lot of times we rationalize and justify that. And, and sometimes we, we, we think we have a commitment to praying in the closet uh, based on when we minister next. Oh, dang. I'm, oh. Okay. I'm leading worship. Uh, let's see. Let's check the church almanac. Uh, uh, November. Okay. I'm good. I'm I don't need I don't need the closet. I'm not preaching until two months later. Shoot, let's turn on some drama. I just you know, just I I I need drama right now. I need I need I need good takto, you know, whatever. Like Yeah, I, I know what y'all are watching. Yeah. No. Whatever, even the legitimate pleasures of life that are not sin. If it's causing you to compromise your closet life, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So I think this whole busyness is really, we can't, we can't use that card. Why? We're talking about Jesus and Daniel here. 80-year-old guy in charge of running 40 satraps, 40 provinces, okay, socioeconomic, geopolitical, every, all kinds of problems. Right, um, and he's also a prophet. The, the latter six chapters of Daniel, you see him getting signs, like visions and, and prophecies from God concerning the last days. Uh, that's no small office to be in to be a prophet. Um, but somehow he didn't squeeze time out. Okay, he didn't give God his fumes. He didn't give him his leftovers. Or just a little little thought in the morning, like, oh, good morning, Jesus, and then just live my life. And then when you go and you go home, you're like, oh, good night, Jesus. It's like it's like you what is he? And then you think you're good because you got that communion life down. Are you on the subway with your podcast? You got you got a smart comment. I mean, or you lose your leadership position. And then you do the corporate gatherings. You go to a big North Korea prayer meeting. You go to a big Friday fire meeting, and you think you're good. But Jesus is like, hey, can we, can we talk? Like, how are we doing? Like, yeah, like, yes, intercede for North Korea. Great. Seek my kingdom first. Yes. But hold up. What happened to Matthew 6? Getting in your closet, shutting the door, praying and seeking God in the secret. Then your father will see you and answer your request. What happened to that? That's like in the same chapter as seek ye first the kingdom of God. Closet. There's no way that we can see. If you, let me, just watch this. You try to increase your prayer life 
Okay, go home and try this. You try just increasing it for 30 minutes. I bet you that's going to incite some distraction from the enemy. You try, to, you try to increase your prayer life, all of a sudden, yo, let's hang out. Your friend from like, never, like, like just, you're, you want to, you want to like increase your prayer life and it's like, hey, hey, uh, hey, da- hey, David, uh, I need you to be in charge of, uh, you know, this, this, this new ministry that we're starting, PC talking, um, no, okay. I'm totally kidding, but what, whatever, like I've noticed we, we find things to replace prayer. It just happens. And, you know, the devil, his plan is not even to have a packed out satanic church. That's not his plan, really. But if he can get you to be disconnected with God in your closet prayer life, he's good. If he can fill you up with schedules and meetings. Ugh, meetings. Meetings are great. But I just used to be the meeting king. When I did college ministry, we met for everything and nothing. Got nothing done. It took me a year to realize I should just rather pray. And then God did a lot of stuff. Like, like whatever you do, like that busy spirit, don't let that get a hold of you. Because you'll be tired. And when you're tired, you give God what? Your leftovers. And I feel like the second trait that God's really looking for and someone that he wants to use is, Someone with a fierce commitment. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. Let me just tell you. It's going to take steadiness of discipline. And if you think discipline is legalism, hello, you're wrong. Who said that? Like, discipline is not legalism. Some of us think, oh, you got you to be free flow and everything spontaneous, you know. Oh, I see a flower blooming. That's Jesus talking to me. <laughs> That means we got our time today. No, no. Discipline is a great thing. There are many scripture telling you to like discipline your flesh, discipline yourself. And this idea, this lie from the pit of hell that says discipline is legalism, completely false. Completely false. If you, of course, if you are, if you are driven by this need to like prove to God your devotion then yeah, that's like false discipline, right? That's religiosity. We don't want that. But what we're talking about is, I'm setting a time. I'm going to stick to it. Like, have you tried that before? (laughs) It's really cool. Like, you put it on your Google calendar from, let's say, 6.30 in the morning to 7.45. That's my time with God. I turn my phone off. I... Don't, I, I completely just get Facebook as far as I can away from me. Instagram too. Yeah. Social media, whatever. But shut the door and, you know, what is worship music or whatever. Just going, God, I'm going to have this time set apart for you. And this is non-negotiable. It's just not going to change. And I want to see how you respond. I want to challenge you. Try it. Just as a quick personal testimony, this is something fresh for me too. I have not fully arrived. I'm a novice at this closet prayer thing too. Uh, but I started doing it recently, relatively recently. Um, 
Not last week, just to preach this message. Don't worry. <laughs> you know how we do that sometimes? Yeah, Mark, okay, no. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Because you got to walk out something before you talk the talk. Okay. It's something that God convicted me of uh, earlier this year, I guess late last year. And um, I started just trying it out. And I wasn't always perfect or consistent. But when I would close the door, and literally like closing the door to my room, uh, you know, just to be fun, like I would open the door. And I won't close it right away. I'll wait till he walks in. I'll close the door. And... Literally, like, if you saw me in my prayer closet, like, I would never let you see what goes down in my prayer closet. Um, Because that's called secretive intimacy. That's called, like, it's not like buddy-buddy with Jesus where you're being irreverent. But it's like a fear of the Lord with intimacy. It's like you, you have the utmost respect for God, but you know you can be just yourself with Him. And that time, everything is off, and... I've begun to just try taking this stuff like seriously and praying. And what I've come to experience is twofold. One, my personal like experience in that like hour beginning to go by fast. Like the time would go by very fast. Probably means I'm having a good time. Uh, and also this time being stretched, like more length and depth. I think we can use more of both in our prayer life. And then what I also notice is actually God responding to me. It's crazy. God answering the specific requests of my heart. Even the ones that I didn't even utter but thought. Even the ones that uh, I thought were, okay, I really don't deserve this. But... Yeah, here, like, like, God, for your glory, like, 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 please, God, Uh, and it actually happening. Uh, One, like, one distinct way that I've experienced is just God's favor showing up in my life that is just unexplainable. and, you know, he, didn't, he doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to. But he, he delights in doing it. He wants to. And I've, I'm personally, right now, my occupation is um, I'm a Kunin. I'm a soldier. I'm a military officer in the Air Force. I know I don't look buff, but uh, it's under these clothes. Y'all don't know. Like, you just don't know. You just don't know. Okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, this program that I'm currently in is an interpreting officer program. It's something that I really thought uh, was uh, unachievable for me because you've got to be very bilingual, very fluent, both English and Korean. And when I applied, you know, I heard everyone who's applying is like Ivy League and like, you know, really smart. From like really like uh, privileged families, kids who don't want that like really like rustic, rough military experience, but they want to get paid during their military experience. They want the nights and the weekends off. All these privileges, it comes with my current job. Um, But I was like, I want to come to church on Sundays. Like, I love New Philly. (laughs) And and I began just studying. Okay, you got to do your part too, right? Come on. (laughs) Don't get the wrong message here. Daniel, Daniel, 
I bet you he was like very diligent. Because why? You can see by his fruit. He, he was outstanding beyond all his peers, right? So St. Augustine once said this. He said, do everything as if everything depended on you and pray as if everything depended on God. Do everything as if everything depended on you and pray as if everything depended on God. Um, so I just, you know, I tried my best uh, and I prayed and I told God why I wanted this. And I saw it as something that wasn't necessarily like selfish. Uh, and it was something that was going to bless me personally and bless the house uh, and further on. And I took the test. A few months later, I got the results. I was in my room. I checked my phone. I op- you know, I'm, I'm in, my, in my upper chamber. There's nothing like celebrating God's answer prayer where you asked, like where you initially asked him. Like you going in there with him, you celebrate like, like that is quite intimate. That's quite special. And I had a really neat moment just going, oh my gosh. Really? <laughs> like, like God's promises fulfilling um, in my life, happening in my life. Um, God's looking for a certain type of person. He really is eager to use us. You guys know that? You believe that? But we've got to set ourselves in the right position. You've got to be blameless before him. You've got to be holy. You've got to be set apart. There's no time to like flirt with sin. Like Daniel understood the time that he was living in. He knew his nation was under a lot of you know, harsh circumstances. And he knew this was crisis, but also an opportunity for him to give God a lot of glory. Right now, you're, you're alive for such a time as this. There is a lot at stake here. And your one person's compromise can result in... But here's the thing. God will still do what he wants to do. He'll get his way. But he just wants you, he wants you in. It's going to get done. If you don't want, if you don't want to be, a, you know, if you don't want to be a part of it, it's going to get done through somebody else. But he's asking you, hey, I want you to be a part of this. Whether it's reunification, whether it's social justice, whether it's you just reaching out to the orphans, whatever it may be, God's inviting you to be used by him. Okay? So that's the second thing. Okay, I've got to wrap up. Okay, third point. Here we go. Um, third point. They that dare to trust in their God. Uh, if you look with me to verse... Uh, go with me to... Where is it? Uh, there it is. Verse 23. Just to catch you up on what happens after verse 10. So Daniel does get caught. They come to his room. They put the handcuffs on him. They take him. Uh, and, you know, you don't see Daniel trying to, like, prove his innocence to the king. He just quietly just goes, gets tossed into the den of lions. Uh I mean, since just because of time constraint, I'll tell you what the king is doing. It says in scripture clearly that the king is anguished. Okay, Daniel was someone important to Darius, and King Darius goes, uh, Daniel, I'm gonna just, I, I hope, I hope that your God comes through for you. And almost like I, like he says it, like I anticipate. 
for him to do so because he knew like he witnessed from a distance that Daniel had a relationship with God, a covenant with God where Dan, where God was like almost obligated to help Daniel in a situation like this. Like that's how close Daniel was with God. This king later goes after, uh, after Daniel's thrown into the den of lions, the next morning it says he comes and he asks his servants to remove the stone. Okay. Of the den. And here's what happens. Go with me to verse 20. Uh, I said 23, but let's go to verse 20, 21. Sorry, 19. <laughs> okay. It says, verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. This guy was sprinting. Okay. As he came near to the den where Daniel was. Notice it says when he came near. Okay. I think he was kind of scared to like <laughs> actually look in. <laughs> Um, he cried out in a tone of anguish. Anguish. Uh, the king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel! With a heavy heart, he says, Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? I bet you it was, it was real quiet for a moment. Everyone's waiting. The satraps, those conspirators, they're thinking, Oh, dude, this guy's... Totally eaten up. No answer, dude. No answer. But verse 21, then Daniel said. Come on, that's good, right? Then Daniel said. Then it was silent? No. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. He's like, yo, what up? Because that's the greeting that you give to the king always. O king, live forever. So it was just like, yo, what's up? Exclamation mark, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like a dull greeting. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you. You see that blameless? O king, I have done, or, yeah, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. And no kind of harm was found on him because he had what? Because he had trusted in his God. All this happened because what? He trusted in his God. Uh, it's not just agreeing that God is real. Satan does that. Trusting God is a completely different thing. Trusting God is like, I'm actually going like, to go, like, go into the lion's den. But the whole time thinking, God, you're trustworthy. Even if I am, my limbs are torn apart. Like, I think Daniel, I don't think he already knew that God was going to rescue him. Why? Because in chapter 3, what, the, what do his buddies say? They say, even if God doesn't take us out of the flames, we will not worship the idols. So this was like counting the cost. This was like very fully conscious, intentional. I trust God no matter what. No matter what. And if you think about it, I think he had a better night of sleep than the king. It says the king could not sleep. He fat, the king even fasted for Daniel, it says in scripture. But why was, why was Daniel able to be safe with no harm? Because he trusted in God. Can I encourage you today? Um, whatever situation, circumstance you're in, it's a little better than Daniel Lyons. <laughs> and it wasn't like the lions were coming, like he had time. This was like in their living room. 
And um, you can know later that these lions were hungry because after he gets rescued and uh, the king punishes those who put on the scheme, their wives and their children, it says. It says, even before they hit the ground, the lions came and devoured them. Those, they were hungry. They were hungry that night. But it says, God came and shut their mouths. God sent angels to shut the mouths of the lions. And I think the truth that we can take away from here is, if you trust God, okay, to that degree, God will move to that degree. Really. But if you don't take God's word, and you, you just fear what man can do to you, then I think in those situations, like, I don't know if the outcome will be different. I actually think so. I actually think so. Yeah. I actually think God specifically finds, like, it just catches his attention. Like, Daniel gets thrown into the den of lions, and God goes, yo, Gabriel, shut them up. It, was, it wasn't even like, it wasn't like Daniel like tried to like all of a sudden have a prayer life in that moment. But it was for who he was before God. He lived blamelessly in the fear of the Lord. He consecrated himself. He had devoted to God three times a day, consistently, three times a day. And if you think about it, this man's prayer life was so powerful, the devil put the whole empire, got, got the whole like, entire government to outlaw prayer. Like, his prayer was so powerful that Satan was actually threatened by one man. One man. And, and, and I think Daniel also knew, too, that the enemy was trying to um, take out the Lord's chosen ones, his servants, because it was through the seed of Israel that Christ would come. So he understood, I think, even the bigger picture of what he was involved in. And all of that combined, he says, there's no way that God's going to take have my take my life prematurely if you think like like when you go on missions trips that you might get martyred like accidentally (laughs) let me just relieve you that's not gonna happen yeah uh and hebrews actually says that there is an appointed time for everyone to die once and then be judged that means our death our our the end to our earthly life is appointed it's not like God doesn't know when you're going to die. God knows. It's literally just a matter of crossing. It's like crossing over a line. There's an appointed time, and you're going to cross over. And until we've got to trust that until it's that time, we're, we're safe. Even in a lion's den. Even in a lion's den, you're safe. And it's for those that trust God, that are daring to trust God, defiantly trust God, that God moves and, and, and shuts the mouths of lions. And I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to wrap up. But um, I just want to point us to one more thing I feel led to point out. Remember that closet scene where he's praying on his knees and he has win- his windows open? Where is it open towards? It's open towards Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, I like to think every word is there for a purpose. Uh, and there's a lot of prophetic, I think, symbolism there. I think whatever situation we're in, we ought to have a closet, and we ought to have our windows always open to the city of Zion, to the new Jerusalem, 
I think Daniel understood that. He was a heavenly man, heavenly-minded man. He, I mean, if you read from chapter 7 to 12, it's crazy the things that he encounters. But at the same time, he was so, he was so here too. He wasn't off touch with reality. I'm not telling you to go into this apocalyptic like, <laughs> oh, Jesus is coming tomorrow. Like, get all my money out of the bank. Go to a prayer mountain. No, don't go to that extreme either. That's not what Daniel did. And the other extreme of completely being like complacent. I don't know when Jesus is coming. They said it was the last days during the New Testament. Like this whole like wrong, like false interpretation of scripture. That don't swing on that pendulum. That straight and narrow road in the middle. I think that balance is you can be someone who's completely connected and in tune with God. And completely here. Hardworking. Being faithful in your routine, mundane, even like very like boring work. Whatever you're doing. Uh, I believe it's all worship unto God. When Diddy and Hewan changed that dirty diaper, that's worship. <laughs> really? Yeah. When you are just um, teaching kids grammar, that's worship. It's all about the posture of your heart. And it's, got, it's getting, setting your eyes on, I'm doing this with my steadfast, like, discipline, con- consistency, like, I'm working hard. But my eyes are towards Jerusalem. I'm homesick for heaven. I'm homesick for heaven. That's the, that's the mindset that we ought to live on this earth. Three points. One, you've got to walk blamelessly before God. Okay? Consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart. No compromise. Two, got to have a closet prayer life. It's got to be a serious commitment, not just talk. Talk is cheap. Show it to God. Do it. Try it out. I dare you. I, I double dare you. <laughs> Thirdly, you've got to trust God. To the end. To the end. Can we all stand?